Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Later in the show, we'll hear from Miles Jacobson, Studio Director of Sports Interactive, the company behind the Football Manager series of video games and the creators of the original Championship Manager. As it happens, I'm afraid I wasn't available to help the interview, but I don't think that was an issue because for Kieran, talking to somebody about a football game that basically is a glorified spreadsheet was a little bit of almost like Disneyland for you, Kieran, I imagine, wasn't it? He was absolutely brilliant. Yes, uh, it was a thoroughly enjoyable time. Had by, had by, well, had by me. I can't, I can't speak on behalf of Miles, of course. I'm sure he had a wonderful time, Kieran. I, 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 looking at some of the research I did, anyway, just to help with questions, I, I, there's some similarities between you both, Kieran. Especially the thoroughness with which you approach numbers, in particular. Um, a couple of news stories first, Kieran. In fact, more than a couple. I, I don't even know how to begin reading out this first one, Kieran, because it's got words in it that. Even a year ago, I don't think I'd I'd be asking you to explain about the NFT-based fantasy sports platform, Sorari, and what they've been up to this week. But they've agreed a, a deal with more than one team, haven't they? Yes, they've signed up five clubs in the EFL, uh, including the likes of uh, Norwich and Millwall. Um, for people not familiar with so rare ah, that it's is it so rare, well, I, th- I think it's well. I think yeah. it's so rare. It could be. So, I, th- I think you, you make it sound a little bit more glamorous. So rare, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, they they describe it as uh, a form of online fantasy league. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll have a look. I, I I went onto the app and I signed up. And I, I must confess, within five minutes. I was completely confused. But but effectively, what happens is that you are you know, a, a bit like uh, yeah, a bit like Panini. You, you pay money, in, in effect, and you, you can buy cards. And then the players that you buy with your cards, they earn points based on their actual performance in matches. So clearly, you know, having Kylian Mbappe, uh, having Haaland and so on, those players are so rare, as it were, um, and, and therefore, yeah, in theory, you can then sell the players. So this this is where it sort of gets, it moves away from me. You know, online fantasy league, collecting cards, that's that's fine. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I openly admit I still I still connect Panini cards, and, and I'm supposed to be an adult, um, but I collect them because it's it's a bit of harmless waste of time. And it is not an investment. The issue with uh, so rare is that you can, you, when you buy players, you have to either use uh, your, your credit or debit card, or you can use cryptocurrency, which I think effectively, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you're encouraged to use. Yeah. 
Um, and then in theory, if your players do well, then you can sell them at a profit, um, assuming, of course, that there's somewhere to buy them. So people claim the, the what we might call the it's sort of, you know, the crypto bros, the NFT bros, the people who say, well, you know, I've, 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 I now drive a Lamborghini um, and live in LA as a result of getting involved in things like this. Whereas in reality, they're living in a bedsit, having pot noodles every night. There's nothing wrong with pot noodles. There is nothing wrong with living in a bedsit. Um, but uh, this, this is where I'm, I am uncomfortable that uh it's 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 being marketed to be fair not by the club so i went on to norwich's website and they they admittedly at the very bottom of the 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 announcement of the deal to say the value of your cards can go down as well as up which which they are obliged to say but at least they are saying it Mm. but really they should say that in all probability it is going to go down um it, it it's it's the equivalent of buying a lottery ticket, and part of me says, "You know, don't." If, if you're going to believe a get-rich-quick scheme, then I've not got a huge amount of sympathy. We've seen various schemes promoted by the likes of John Terry, Michael Owen, Paris Hilton. Well, I wouldn't take investment advice from them if I met them down the pub. So, therefore, I wouldn't take it from them if it's online promoting some form of token or card. Um, it's money for the clubs. I, I personally, I think it's it's one of those things which works out as too expensive to actually get any real enjoyment from it because mm. you, you have to keep buying the cards to have a competitive team. But if that's what you want to do, it's your money. Is it unusual, Kieran, for so rare, Sorari, to have a deal with five teams at once, or do you think they would have approached more teams and maybe tried to get the whole of the championship involved? I, I suspect they've they've approached quite a few, and you know, we could be having a further announcement in due course. Um, it's I think it's fairly much an open secret that the Premier League are looking at this in some depth. Whether they you know, whether they do a deal with so rare or another. Similar organisation is yet to be decided. Um, there's, there's talk of the Football Association having some form of either card or NFT deal going forwards. Um, and the clubs are in the main losing money. This is a way of getting extra cash. Um, is it a victimless situation? Um well, it, it 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 depends upon the behaviour of the people that buy the cards. If you know, if if like me, I get halfway through my Panini collection and get bored, then you know, I, I've not I've not suffered except you know the, the level of financial uh, the fin- financial cost that I, I've chosen to incur. Um, the, my reservation is is that people can become a slightly addicted to these mm. um, because you will be bombarded with messages on your on your device. Uh, but from the club's point of view, they've got five. I suspect that we could see a few more clubs get involved. They've certainly got other clubs uh, in in the uh, in, in the upper leagues of other European countries as well. And now you, you say, Kieran, that 
Panini stickers are not an investment, but I'm guessing if somebody's got like full sets going back to when it first started, they'd be worth a few bob, wouldn't they? Yeah, if, you, if you've got a full set of 74 or 78, you, you're absolutely. But then, you know, they are, you know, 40, 45 years old. Um, and if, if you hold on to something and it's in pristine condition from 40 to 45 years, yeah, if, if you've got an original Game Boy boxed, it's uh, even though they sold millions of them, it, it's worth a few quid. But that's not the same as making you a millionaire. Mm. Um you you will will you get your money back on it? Yes, you will. Will you make a profit compared to what you spent in nineteen seventy four? Yes, you will. But you're not going to get hugely rich on the back of it. And I think that's what people have to be um, aware of. And and if you get a bit of fun, go ahead, go ahead and do it. Just just watch the cost. It's a bit like what we're now seeing. And, and I think this is yeah, this is something which has gone under the radar. If people, you know, we're talking to Miles later, and, and uh, if, if you have FIFA, you can buy what's referred to as, I think they've referred to as loot boxes, whereby if you want to improve your ultimate team, you you effectively buy the equivalent of players, but you don't know what you're buying. So it encourages people to spend more and more money. Um, and, and that is quite common in the gaming industry. Um, and it's it's not it's not an avenue... I I would encourage if if you if if you are a parent with kids, I I have to say, Kieran, I have no idea what anything you said in the last minute means. <laughs> uh, I shall take it that it was significant. Uh, two stories about London clubs and naming rights. The first one is slightly odd because this club has to pay. It looks like um, to get a naming rights deal. Yes. Um, so here we're looking at West Ham. Now, West Ham presently play in the London Stadium, which we sort of call the London Stadium, but I still think of it as the Olympic Stadium. Um, the stadium is owned by the by LLDC, the London Legacy Development Corporation, who rents the stadium uh, for uh, an agreed number of days to West Ham United. Um and they went on, I think, a conference call uh, about a week ago, and they said, "Well, you know, West Ham are sort of, you know, the 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 prime tenant as far as the stadium is concerned. If West Ham want to have a deal, then we are willing to allow them to change the name of the stadium, but." We want the first four million pounds, and then the rest is well. It could be up for negotiation. It could be that West Ham get all of the remainder, or it could be that LLDC get a percentage of the remainder. You know, clearly, that's up um, for discussion between the two parties. Um, I, I think it's fairly well acknowledged that the the negotiators on behalf of the the owners of the stadium probably got their their pants taken down. Uh, when when West Ham uh, organised the the rental arrangement, you know it's it's two and a half. It was two and a half million pounds. It's gone up to around about three and a half. But West Ham have got a lot more seats in it. Uh, West Ham have got a fantastic deal, um, and I, I part of me doesn't have an issue with that because if you go into negotiations and you negotiate well, well then that's sort of you know a testament to to your ability and the other party's inability. When the other party is is a representative of the taxpayer, that's that's just disappointing. But it's the nature of business. So so West Ham 
could make some money out of this. LLDC could make some money out of this. So again, I think this is a yeah, this is a potential positive, and it would would allow the uh, yeah, would allow the ultimately the, yeah, the taxpayer to to recoup more money. So so there could be a benefit from that perspective as well. In in terms of the fee. It's it's difficult to work out because uh, the stadium has been there for quite a few years already, so there's an element of wait and see. Uh, but you know, if, if West Ham get 10, 15 million from it, even if they give half of that to LLDC over the first four million, uh, yeah, that, that that pays for a couple of players' wages, and I think that's why the club will look at it. And uh, you know the the government or the local government will be able to say, well, you know, we're now recouping a lot more money than than we originally expected to. So uh, you know, it's a win-win deal. Uh, and meanwhile, Kieran Spurs are in talks with Google about naming rights for their stadium. And if the London Evening Standard is to be believed, it's for a huge amount of money. But also they're planning a multi-million pound upgrade of part of the ground already. So they'll need some of that money. Yes. Uh, I mean, Spurs... I, I really admire from from a business point of view. Uh, clearly, I wasn't saying that uh, on Saturday afternoon <laughs> when, when Harry Kane scored the winner against us. But uh, as far as their pitch is concerned, I'm sure, I'm sure uh, many listeners are aware that it, it's a retractable pitch uh, because they, they do have a deal with the NFL. But the downside of the stadium um, is that it takes 48 hours to wheel the pitch in and replace it with one which is appropriate for NFL. So there's a bit of squeaky bum time. So Spurs are looking at advances, you know, and that they are a very technologically uh, adept club. They're looking at potential changes in technology, uh, which will allow them to, to get that pitch in faster. Uh, that will, A, it will please the groundsman. Um, B, Knowing Spurs, that they'll have done their sums and they reckon they can get a return on their investment as well because that will allow them to do even more events. And you know, we've said on many an occasion that football is a pretty daft business in the sense that most football clubs are open for business 25 days a year. And uh, you know, Tesco's isn't, Apple isn't, uh, you know, the Porson's Arms isn't. You know, and therefore... Uh, and anything which makes a, a club, a club stadium, multi-function and multi-income stream, is going to benefit it from a financial point of view. And what about their naming rights? Well, I, I think yeah, well, I think we mentioned this a few days ago. They've they've done really well to not have most people thinking. Well, it's it's still that White Art Lane, so why aren't we calling it White Art Lane? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it is the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which is a bit of a gobful. Um, when it comes to naming rights, I think you've got to do two things. A, you need a long-term deal because people won't sign up for it otherwise. Um, and, and B, it is a case of whoever gets the first name gets all of the value because people don't refer to the Macron or the University of Bolton Stadium. It's the Reebok. Uh, people don't refer to Coventry Building Society Stadium. They refer to... I'm going, you know, I'm going to Coventry, I'll see you at the Rico and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the nature of the, the people that Spurs are allegedly in conversation with, and certainly reading the articles, we are 
still a fair way from signing it, but I, I still think we could we could have a deal signed by the end of the year. Uh, I think Spurs are probably looking for you know, 20 to 25 million pounds a year for, for at least a 10 year deal. Certainly, if we take a look at what we've seen in the States, they've all been very much long term deals. Um, and you know, if so, that that gets back a, a pretty big chunk of what it costs to, to build the stadium in the first place. Yeah, it seems to be Google, isn't it, that's in pole position, according to the local press? Yes, yeah, and and again, that that would make sense. You know, it, it is uh, it is an amazing stadium. It's it's going to attract a a global brand. Spurs are you know, at the right end of the Premier League from a from a sponsor's point of view. They are regularly playing in the Champions League. Yeah, they might even be playing in Super League variant too, for all we know, in a few years' time. Uh, but that's, that's another topic, of course. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd expect a big player, Google, Amazon. I think we've seen some potential interest from India and China as well. Um, so I think Spurs are actually in, in a strong position whereby uh, they, they can effectively play off potential suitors against each other. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to the amusing confusion, Kieran, as well, when away fans have to Google Google. <laughs> How do I get to Google? Um, you and I, Kieran, are both, I think it's fair to say, fans of The Athletic. Um, mm-hmm. And every now and again, at least once a week, I will get in touch with you and say, oh, The Athletic, we've got this brilliant football finance story. Have you seen it? And you go, I gave them the figures. Uh, <laughs> uh, but this one, I mean, this one really caught my eye. It's, it's about Man United and it's about the money they've spent doing something they do quite often. Well, yeah, that's something they do quite often over the course of the last decade. Uh, you know, they, they did have that uh, very long period of time under Sir Alex, uh, where it was a very stable ship. Um, he, he once he once phoned up my house on Christmas Day, which was which was a very surreal experience. But I'll, that, that's 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 for the live show, I think. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, what we're talking about is uh, the cost of replacing people, uh, the redundancy costs. So when when Sir Alex retired, he uh, he went, but all of his support staff effectively lost their jobs as well because David Moyes was coming in and he wanted to employ his own people. So the likes of Mickey Phelan and so on, they 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 were moved on. That cost them two and a half million quid. David Moyes didn't didn't last a season. Uh, you know, many people will recall. And I, th- I think there was a bit of shock. You know, he'd signed a six-year contract, and a lot of people thought, you know, six, six years, at, you know, probably you know, seven million. This is be an absolute fortune. Um, but what what I think people didn't realise was that there was a clause in David Moyes' contract. This, this was a bit of canny by United that said if the club fails to qualify for the Champions League in the first year of which you are managing the club, instead of having to pay up the remainder of the contract, we only have to pay you up 12 months. So uh, you know, people probably don't remember this, but Manchester United, I think I think they, they lost on the Sunday, which meant they couldn't qualify for the Sunday, couldn't qualify for the Champions League the following season, and Moyes was sacked on the Monday because that effectively triggered the ability. It saved Manchester United um, a lot of money. So we had Moyes, then we had Van Hal, who was rewarded for winning the FA Cup by being sacked by Manchester United. That's another £8 million. Uh, the special one came in. He, uh, he, uh, he took them to, I think it was, he, 
did he, was, are they runners up and they won the mm-hmm. Europa League? But then he got the sack a few months later. That was another 20 million quid. And then we've seen in um, this year's account, which have just come out, um, we, we know that Solskjaer and his, his assistants got about 10 million pounds. And then there was another 15 million quid, which was paid out in the last quarter. So, you know, I thought, and I think many other people thought, Blimey O'Reilly, yeah, that's that's uh, that's a lot of money for Ranić, given that he only came in as a effectively an interim manager. But yeah, you know, in, in the absence of any other information, so yeah, you know, I'd put out, and, and I think some other people, well, yeah, Ranić somehow managed to trouser fifty million pounds. And um, all, all I can say, I was contacted by Ranić sources to Ooh. say, uh, not on your Nelly. Oh, uh, you know, he, he got he effectively got buttons because his contract wasn't to the end of the season. So it does make you wonder who were the recipients of this £15 million. You know, has any of that gone to uh, Ed Woodward? Has some gone to, to Matt Judge, who I think was in term, you know, quite involved in recruitment? But you wouldn't expect a recruitment person to be on millions and millions. So it, it is intriguing. Um, there, there was also, I think, um, when Ed Woodward left, there does appear to have been a bit of a, a night of the long knives uh, in senior management uh, at Manchester United. So it could be that, that they've had some of these big payouts. But, you know, for, for 15 million quid to be spent in, in the last quarter of the year. So you add up all of those um, and, and that's uh, it comes to around about 60 million quid since Sir Alex retired. And people go, yeah, that, that's a ridiculous amount of money until you say, well, hold on. Who appointed all of these people in the first place? It was our very good friends, the Glazers. And what have they done in that intervening period? They've paid themselves 165 million in uh, in, uh, in dividend payments. So yes, it's a lot of money, but compared to what the the decision makers uh, have uh, have benefited from, it's actually fairly small beer. Mm. Uh, some of you may have noticed a slight difference uh, in the sound quality. It's because Kieran and I are not where we normally are to record this. Uh, and being middle-aged men, uh, one of us did something wrong, so we had to switch to Zoom. So that's the reason, and I apologise if that uh, came as a bit of a shock to you. I don't think there'd be much of a difference, but just in case you did notice. Um, some sad news for a player at your team, Brighton, this week, Kieran, and there are some financial ramifications coming from it as well. Yeah, yeah, and you know, we this this is a this is a money show, but you know. Enoch Mwepu, we signed him from Salzburg last year, £18 million. You know, it's a lot of money for a club of our size. He, he, he's a cracking player. He, he scored our goal of the season at, at, uh, uh, at Anfield. He looked like he was one of those players where you know, we're Brighton. We know that players come, stay a couple of years and move on to something bigger and better. Well, no, bigger, not necessarily better. Um, <laughs> but... Um, he, uh, oh, something happened there with, that's very strange. That was, that was Siri joining in our conversation. So as well as Zoom, we've got Siri added into the equation. Uh, well, it might be because I sent you a WhatsApp message as well. Oh. Yeah, we're really not cut out for this level of technology. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, first of all, really sorry for him because it's it's his yeah. professional career. He's only 24. Um, but a horrible thing to say there are financial issues to arise as well. So first of all, I think we've got to look at it from the perspective of the player. Um, 
he he'd, he'd signed a four year contract. He was he'd only been at the club for a year. Uh, I, you know, the, you know, the club's not saying anything, and I, I understand, you know, what, why you know, ultimately it's it's a private conversation between employer and employee. It's not it's none of, yeah. none of our business. Um, you know, talking to some people in football, they say, well, first of all, you normally expect to get twelve months at least. Uh, you know, if if you know, you know, I spoke to a couple of agents, I spoke to a few other people, and you know, the player potentially also would have taken out an insurance policy himself or his representatives would have ensured they did, which would have mean, means that he gets the majority of the rest of his contract paid up. You know, wherever he goes, I wish him all the best. He's, you know, I, from, yeah, we, we, we both know people that know people at football clubs and he, he's one of the good guys. Yeah. Um, as far as the club is concerned, they paid £18 million for a player. If there's any instalments remaining on that, Salzburger say, well, it's not our problem. You're obliged to pay them. So Brighton are going to have to go and pay up for all, all outstanding instalments. Um, and they're going to have to write off that contract. So that's going to be a big hit to their accounts. They might have insurance. They might not. You know, insurance policies on football players, having spoken to some people in the insurance industry saying, well, you know, clubs are reluctant because the premiums are so high. And some clubs effectively say we will self-insure. Yeah, we will we will put money that we would have paid into an insurance pot into a separate bank account and and let that build up with with a view to um, you know effectively saying we, we can go into the transfer market with that at a later date. So um, yeah, all, all I can say yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of the lad and a fan of the club. Of course, is is that I, wherever he chooses to go, uh, I wish him well. Um, also, you know, with fans of other clubs have been really supportive in the main including you know, the vast majority of, of palace fans as well yeah. because you know we set, we do set things aside when 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 the when the when the pantomime stops yeah, yeah I'd, I'd like to think i speak on behalf of all palace fans when we of course wish him the very best in the future and hopefully he might still have some sort of career within the game but it must be heartbreaking for a young man for this to happen. Um, FIFA, Kieran, are very rarely off your naughty step. But they, <laughs> yes. but they've managed to move themselves up a couple of steps this week. Yes. Um, I, I've been contacted by quite a few fans to say um, pe- people had bought tickets for the, the Qatar World Cup. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, you know and, and I've done this in the past. I've, I've booked tickets for eight matches and ended up with tickets for three because there's there's a no you know, excess demand, um, and it could be that two of them at the start of the tournament and one of them's you know two weeks later and it's it's fifteen hundred miles away and you go I'll probably sack that off. So um, I've been in contact. Yeah, I've heard from quite a few fans to say that they bought tickets and to be fair to FIFA, FIFA did allow you to put your tickets up for resale where you'd get the money back uh, if FIFA managed to resell the tickets. So that's, that's all good. You know, that, that, that's you know, discouraging touting. It's giving people an opportunity to say, well, you know, my personal circumstances have changed. Um, and, and the noises I'm getting from fans is they put their tickets up for sale. As far as they're concerned, you know, FIFA appear to have sold them and the money was supposed to have been paid by FIFA to the fans in September. Now it ain't September, and 
there's no communication coming from FIFA. So is it just tardiness on behalf of FIFA? Are a bunch of random people on the internet sending me messages uh, through through social media and to my email to, to wind me up to try to get a story on, on the podcast? I think that's quite unlikely. But uh, I did speak to some fan groups and the, the general consensus was FIFA are pretty disorganised when it comes to fans' rights. You know, they're, they're, they're quite organised when it comes to looking after clubs, to looking after FIFA members. Um, and you know, there, there's another story uh, that people might have seen that I think FIFA are paying. If, if, you, if, you, if you've got a player playing at the World Cup, you're getting $10,000 a day from FIFA for him effectively being away for the club during the competition. Mm. And you know, for some championship clubs, this is absolutely fantastic. You know, because they they won't be paying uh, they won't be paying their players ten thousand dollars a day. So, so there could be some some big winners here, um, and I'm sure FIFA will be quite speedy with those payments. But if, if FIFA are just being disorganised and slow, I don't think that reflects particularly well on them as an organisation. Mm. Now, Kieran, I'm going to suggest something we've we've not done before, and I, I, Ali will tell me off here for allowing uh, the light to shine in. We shouldn't be doing this. We should keep these things secret. Um, and we're also sort of making policy on the hoof that you and I had a very stern email this evening from Guy. We had a very stern email saying the interview with Miles is very good, but it's quite long. Uh, and can we keep the news section a little bit shorter? And we've already gone about 15 minutes over the time limit he gave us. <laughs> And you know, it, it's, it's getting quite late and I, I don't want to go to bed on a disappointed email from Guy because he does that. <laughs> he does that so well. I'm not angry. It must be a nightmare being one of his kids. He's not, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. You know, that whole, why do I email you when you ignore me type vibe. So what I'm going to suggest, because the last two stories are actually quite big ones. Yes. So what I'm going to suggest, Kieran, is that you just give us the headline but we will then discuss them at length, the length they deserve, at the start of Monday's pod. How should, should we do that? That sounds like a deal. Yes. So, yeah, yeah the, the, the stories are what's happened at Everton with their auditors. Mm. And is the EFL going to break the 3pm Saturday blackout rule? Yeah, which is, I mean, we've been talking about that blackout rule for quite some time and how mm. sacrosanct it's been. And also... Things are starting to get a little interesting uh, at Everton. So we will give those stories the the justice they deserve. Um, and in the meantime, uh, football manager is is more than a game. It, it's for, it's a phenomenon, Kieran, and it mm. grows and develops every year. So we took the opportunity to talk to one of the people who has been with it from the start, Miles Jacobson. And it, it, it is a lengthy interview, but it deserves every minute. Miles, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm dead excited as a computer games fan myself, um, and, and it runs in in my family. So uh, when I told my son, who uh, is, is another, he's much much more into this than me. He, 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 I'm with royalty as far as uh, <laughs> as he's concerned. Well, um, thank, so thank you for having me. Well, that, yes. So uh, thank you. So um, would would you would you say that? 
the football manager is now one of the the main suppliers or or drivers of data within the real game because i think the, the sort of the lines between football and data have become closer and closer if you did a venn diagram we we've still got some managers who should we say take the the more 70s approach to to assessing football um but are are you using your data is is the football industry now sort of a a client of a uh, football manager um to a degree yes uh we do work with a few clubs um most of the clubs that we work with are the more uh data rich clubs and uh they need a starting point um now we've got 1300 scouts around the world we've got over 500,000 active players and staff members around the world in our database so it's it's a pretty good starting point um and then uh, you know people people that we're working with tend to build on top of it um so they will build algorithms on top they will b- put their own scout reports in there they will be getting data from other suppliers because anyone who's using data properly in the football world is working with dozens of, mm. of people to provide data and to provide algorithms to um uh to be able to extrapolate that data in the correct way now you know we're we're working officially with with a handful of clubs but we know that there are lots and lots and lots of clubs out there who just go out and buy a copy of the game and use it as a reference tool and that's absolutely a a, a good thing to do um but i would i would not say it was a good idea to use our data in isolation um whilst we've got a pretty good strike rate around 99% that does mean that we're getting 1% of stuff wrong. We don't claim to be a Bible of football. We are a game that utilises um, that utilizes scouts to come up with opinions um, on players. We don't use the kind of real data um, that, that comes from GPS trackers and things like that. We, we don't have any of that data in the game. So, yeah, it, look, it, it's it's strange how it's all happened um, with the data side of things because we were there very early with the data that we provided. I think, um, if I remember correctly, the, the founders of Opta, when asked, why did you set up the business? They went, well, Sports Interactive aren't selling theirs. Um, so so we right. decided to do it instead. Um, so we were a little bit late to the party on it. But our, our data, it's everywhere, right? People are... Yeah. People are playing the game at clubs all over the place. Uh, we have around 3,000 uh, footballers and staff members who help us with the game. So we send them a copy wow. of the game early each year and they give us feedback. Um, we are definitely part of football and part of the football industry. It's kind right. of art imitating life imitating art imitating life imitating art um to the power of infinity um with with what we do on that but um it's quite incredible how people are manipulating all the different data sets from around the world so yeah it, it it's it's huge changes huge changes in the football world um and a lot of it is being driven by the uh, by the football groups 
and I think that they are one of the the most interesting things to have to have happened in in football um, as a change of football in in you know the last the last few decades. Um, and I think there are more of those to come as well. I don't think oh, anyone I don't think anyone is safe at the moment um, from being bought by uh, bought by a group um, because particularly when uh, when Americans start buying clubs, the the other American um, billionaires tend to want to get involved as well. So the Chelsea takeover, I, th- I believe, is going to be a catalyst for a few other deals. You you, you said a little bit earlier that. Um there's a difference between clubs who use data in the right way and those who don't. Could, could you, for, for our listeners and for me, yeah, everybody, uh, could, could you sort of explain what you mean by that? Yeah, so um, clubs that use data in the, in the right way are the ones that are taking lots and lots of different sources and they are using that data to come up with... Um, to come up with suggestions that they then have other people that can go and watch the players, um, spend more time deep diving on the players, doing uh, doing essentially personality checks um, on the players and, and, and due diligence on the player. I think personality checks would probably go down quite badly. So doing, doing due diligence... Um, and coming up with the with the answers that way, and the clubs that are able to do that tend to be the clubs that don't need to be buying fifteen players a year. They need to be buying one or two players a year, and need to make sure that those players are going to fit. So it's using the data in the way of how how will this player come into the team? Who will they replace in the team? How are their um, their data points complementary to what we're doing? How are they going to help improve us? People who use the data in the wrong way are, oh yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's go and get that player. That so if you're if you're looking at that top level, obviously there is a difference between playing for a team down the bottom and playing for a team down the top. Hmm. So if a player, um. Down, down the bottom or playing in another league is the absolute focal point for that team. Um, and going to the new club, they're not going to be a focal point for that team. How does it affect? Um, how is it going to affect that player's stats? So you need to be able to kind of have predictive tools. You need to be using machine learning as as part of that to wow. to be able to show you how players are going to come through and and some of the some of the larger clubs some of whom are groups some of whom aren't groups are employing some incredible mathematicians um, and programmers to be able to do that stuff some of the data providers are also um, working with machine learning to to kind of to try and predict um to try and predict these things um and there are even some um, some companies now who uh, who do uh, who are offering players to clubs, so are getting mandates to offer players to clubs, who are basically turning around to clubs that might be interested and in saying, right, this is why you need to sign this player, and coming coming in with the dossier 
Um, mm-hmm. So so it, work, it works in different ways doing it properly. But what's what's doing it wrong is just taking some stats from a computer game or taking some stats from GPS and making decisions on whether to sign a player or not based on those because there's a lot more that goes into it. Um, a lot more that, that that can go into into the data. Um, and uh, watching players is still very important because when when you're watching a player on um, on standard TV, you don't actually get to see what they do off the ball much. If you're watching a player on a on a wide angle, um, you do get to see it, but because unless you've got a TV the size of a football pitch, you're not able to see a lot of the nuance. So actually going and watching a player. Um, and watching a player for a full ninety minutes, not leaving on seventy-two minutes, as a lot of scouts do, yeah, um, is is still an important part of it. Whatever data you have, one one of the things which I find amazing about Football Manager is its its immersion in in realism, um, and you sort of you've got real world events such as Brexit, and now we've seen some players coming out as gay and, and so on. What was sort of behind your decision to reflect those in the game? Was it simply just you want to be as realistic as possible or was, was there any other motive for that? Um, the realistic as possible always comes into it. I mean, look, football manager, uh, we call it a giant story generator because every game is different and you're creating your own story whilst you're playing. Um, and if you're going to have a story generator that's unique, then you've got to make it unique every time. So when it came to, when it came to Brexit, um, we did Brexit in a very non-political way. Every single possible combination was in there. There were, there were over a hundred thousand possible combinations of what could happen with Brexit. And, what happened there is uh, the vote came through. Um, I was due to be going away, um, actually, with a charity. Um, that that weekend, that trip got cancelled because um, the charity were worried that all their funding had just gone um, with with the vote. So they were all scrabbling around. Um, and I sat at home on, and, and sat on my sofa and went, right, so how is this going to affect football? Hmm. And looked through and came up with all the different combinations, and we just thought it would be really interesting to add um, add those combinations to the game. We carried on researching. We spoke to a bunch of academics. We spoke to some politicians. Um, spoke to some experts because I still believe experts are important. Um, <laughs> and uh, came up with the percentage chances. Put it in the game. Um, Got some death threats. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, the uh, Some people in Ireland weren't particularly happy that there was a, a one in two million chance that um, that Northern Ireland and the, the Republic of Ireland might decide to be one country. Um, <laughs> but but it, it was a one in two million chance, which is, yeah. which is you know, what the research had shown us. Um, it would be a tiny chance, but still a chance. Um, but the most interesting part of it was then getting all of the data 
from it, and particularly the financial data of what happens in different scenarios, and then going and um, presenting that to Tracy Crouch, presenting that to the opposition, um, to say, "Hey, this is what this is what could happen to UK PLC under our model um, with the different scenarios," and then went and spoke to to other organizations about it as well um who you know the on the football side of things who all had very um differing views of what brexit should mean i'm i'm actually amazed that there ended up being a um a kind of agreed position on it and um, based yep. on the conversations that i'd had um but what what people forget about Brexit and and football, Um, what people forget about football in general, although obviously not on this podcast, is it's not just about the money that the clubs are making, it's also about the surrounding industries. So when we were looking at the financial side of things, we were also looking at um, if you can't sign players from abroad anymore, um, you know, in the harshest version of Brexit, you, you could hardly sign anyone. Um, it, that was in-game. Um, that meant less tourists coming to the UK. Oh, wow. So that, that affects the travel and the leisure industry because if you look at most, most Premier League clubs have some season tickets that are owned by travel companies yep. who sell them. You have some clubs who have players from particular countries who have large amounts of people coming in um, from those countries each week to watch to watch those players. Um, certainly, I, I, I don't know what it's like this time round, but uh, but when Fulham have previously been in the Premier League, they have an area that has been used for tourists. It's yep. certainly when people are coming over from from the US, it's the club that they tend to go to because they can get in. Um, so that has knock ons across multiple other industries as well, which all costs. It all costs the economy, um, so so going that deep into it was uh, was really interesting. Um, so that that's why Brexit it it was going to add an extra element to the game, and the data was really useful. Yeah. Um, and we wanted to show people what the different options were going to be, um, all the positives and all the negatives. With with players coming out, we did it because it's just the right thing to do. Um, it's ridiculous that in 2022, um, people uh, who uh, people have to hide who they are. Mm. Um, I'm not someone who believes that uh, that people should talk about their sexuality unless they want to, but they should be able to, should they want to. Exactly. Um, so again, we added that in. Um, I I spoke to. I spoke to some footballers who I know are gay but aren't out. I spoke to some um, sports people who have come out. Um, I spoke to some people behind the scenes or, um, at clubs where where sports people have come out, and you know we tried to put those effects in there, which is which is pretty simple effects, which is you get a boost in your finances because um, you sell more shirts for a short period of time and then no one talks about it again and everyone just 
forgets because it's a completely natural thing in life. Yes. So so why why would it be a big deal? Um so that's how he had it happening in game. Um we didn't have it in countries where homosexuality is illegal um because we were we have to be mindful of countries' laws whether we agree with them or not. Mm. Um but yeah we we do you know we do try to be as realistic as possible because people People are escaping when they're playing football manager. They're escaping into this world where they are doing a job that they actually want to do rather than doing a job that they don't want to do. And more than 90% of people in the world do a job that they don't want to do. Um, they work incredibly hard for the money um, to be able to buy a copy of the game. And we want to give them the most immersive experience possible. Um, our average play times on the PC game are 300 hours a year, um, and we are incredibly proud of the value for money um, that we provide to our consumers. So um, being able to use our voice is also important to us. So we've worked with Kicker Out for 25-plus years. We've worked with Warchild for 15-plus years. Um, we provided over 200 million um, adverts to mental health charities during the pandemic because Brilliant. us blokes are pretty uh, pretty rubbish talking about our mental health. So being able to be one button click away from getting help um, was important um, to me during uh, during the pandemic because when you're all locked away, you know, there's a reason why people who do bad things go to prison and prison isn't very nice. So being stuck in home prisons, as as uh, lots of us were around the world, is also not very nice. Um, and it's it's really useful that we're able to use our voice and our audience for things like that. You just you mentioned Warchild. Now you're you are very immersed in Warchild. You're an ambassador for the charity. Could, could you tell tell us a little bit more about it and and yeah, perhaps how our listeners could help or sort of the activities um, of. Uh, you know, of this organisation, which is a terrible thing to say. In an ideal world, it wouldn't be necessary, but yeah, that's, that's the case to so many charities. Um, war Child have a really simple premise. Um, no child's ever started a war, so no child should be affected by war. Um, and unfortunately, around the world, children are affected by war in different ways. Um, so that might be um, not being able to go to school or not having safe playgrounds uh, to, to play in, as, as we've seen in in Ukraine um, just this week. In places like the Democratic Republic of Congo, it involves child soldiers. And um, I don't want to depress people too much when they're, uh, when they're listening to this podcast, but um, uh, war child go in and try and rehabilitate child soldiers and get them back into society. But the, uh, the way that they are persuaded to go and fight at 12 and 13 with, with guns is um, is pretty horrific. And some of the things that are done are, are horrific. So they work in different ways in different countries, um, depending on the need, sometimes with local organisations on the ground, sometimes with their own team. They are a lean charity in that... Um, the vast majority of money that they raise actually goes to uh, to the work that they're doing on the ground. They are nimble. They have a good network of partner charities. So I'm an ambassador for Warchild UK. 
um, there are various war childs that that work together in 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 other different countries. Um, but they're able to react very quickly. So they were um, they were on the ground in two of the neighbouring countries to Ukraine, where a lot of the other charities weren't to try and uh, stop kids being people trafficked, basically, yes. as they're crossing the borders um, in, in the most recent thing. And I, I talk about all this stuff very matter-of-fact because this is the work that they do. Um, and I know that it's hard for, for lots of people um, to hear. But um, we do have some uh, some other interesting projects as well where you are helping in the post-conflict times um, we're trying to get something off the ground at the moment, which is a, a forestry project um, in a particular country that is looking to uh, looking to help aid peacekeeping, um, financial uh, issues, so poverty, um, as well as hunger at the same time, um, by getting two villages who used to be opposite sides of the war. Um, to actually work together on planting fruit trees, yep. um, so that they are, uh, so that they're able to to make money from the crops that they're that they're planting, but also planting some CO two sucking um, plants at the same time to to try and help with with global warming. So you know they're, they're one of the few one of the few organisations I've worked with who are as flexible and nimble. Um, and that's one of the reasons that we work with them. So they get a donation for every um, every game that we sell, um, up to a capped amount each year. Um, so we we hit that cap each year. It helps them know exactly what they're getting. Um, and then I'm an ambassador personally, so um, try and raise money personally and represent the, the charity in, in hopefully in the right way. Miles, people that know it, you're you're a Watford fan. Um, I am. Do, do you? Do you play the game as Watford? And and if so, do you regularly sack the manager? Um, so I do play the game as Watford. Um, one, once the game is released, I start my I start my Watford save game, and I tend not to get sacked because I've got a bit I've got a bit of an advantage. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> you know, particularly at the start of the game, I tend to know who the best players are in the game, and I'm able to try and get them. Um, in my in my current Watford test, because I've always got a Watford test game as well, I did get promoted in the first season, so there was no no meltdown happening at the club. Um, <laughs> thankfully, um, I did have to sell Jao Pedro and Saar in the January transfer window, having kept them for the first window, um, but managed to bring some other players in. So um, so yeah, I I tend to keep my job. I don't think we're as we're not as trigger happy in game as uh, as Mister Pozzo is in real life, <laughs> um, and I, I have to say, and I, I've I've said this on social media, so so it won't be a surprise to the club. Um, whilst I wish Slavon Bilic every bit of success, and uh, you know I hope he does very well. I think it was a big mistake to to sack Rob Edwards. I was not happy with the decision. Um, I think he was really building something, um, and. Uh, yeah, um, I, yeah. I'd, I'd hoped for a long future with Rob, and I'm disappointed that he didn't get the opportunity to, um, to really put his thoughts and ideas into play. Yeah, all, all I can say, yeah, supporting Brighton, we, we went through a run of 
three wins in 25 games last season, but we didn't have too bad an end to last season or too bad a start to this season. So uh, not being trigger happy does does have some benefits, uh, even if the manager then does go and jump ship. Uh, but for, for, for £60 million, pounds, I'd, I'd even be the Crystal Palace mascot for that. So, <laughs> uh, uh, I can understand. Um, you, you must get an awful lot of contact from people that, that play the game. What, what's the most unlikely club that, that somebody claims to have won the Champions League uh, managing in, in your oh, experiences? Wow. Um, and you can, you can pick pretty much any club in, in Europe. And someone will claim that they've that they've done that. Um, and obviously, I've won the Champions League with Watford, um, which which I would say is unlikely enough. But um, you know, there are people who will go on very, very, very long journeys with clubs all over all over Europe, um, with the aim of doing that. And um, I, I hark back to. Because I'm 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 a bit old, right? I hark back to the Euros when Denmark won it, and yeah. you know, they didn't have a chance. Everyone has a chance. That's that's the beauty of football. Um, or you upset Mr. Perez with comments like that? Well, it's it is harder now with um, with certain teams. Um, you know, Man Man City this season and, and uh, the the city group or a group that use data incredibly well. Um, I don't think it's fair that they've bought a robot um, <laughs> to play as a centre forward this season. Um, you know, it's a, an interesting experiment for all, but uh, Harland is, it's just absolutely immense and um, they are going to make it. He is going to make it uh, even harder for everybody else um, in the champions league. But, if Haaland had if Haaland had stayed at his club in Norway for longer, then maybe he would have fired them into you know into yeah. the Champions League. It's it's there's so many possible stories in football. So, um, so yeah, I, I can't I can't think off the top of my head of the the most ridiculous club doing it. But one of the reasons that I can safely say is that someone will have done it with with most clubs is uh, sometimes people cheat in the game. <laughs> and to be frank, we don't have a big issue with them cheating. Um, no, if, if that's, if that's what they get enjoyment from, then that's what they get enjoyment from. So, so someone somewhere will have, will have won, will have won the, the champions league with a, a, a lower league Romanian team. I'm sure by, uh, by using the in-game editor. Terrific, terrific. But you, you, you said that the average, uh, the average playing time uh, is is three hundred hours. Yeah, um, it, it's a hobby. Yes. Ha, have has football manager ever been cited in a divorce case? Um, so yes, although we don't know this officially. Um, Men's Health magazine a few years ago told us that uh, we'd been cited in. I think it was thirty five in one year. Um, <laughs> So um so yeah I'm sure I'm sure we have been but if um if if somebody is spending the time that they should be spending with their partner uh doing other things and their partner isn't happy with it then I expect that there's something wrong in the relationship 
Hmm. So you you have to look at the um, the reasons why that person is deciding to spend their time doing that instead. But you know, three three hundred hours in a year that's an average. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's an average, but that's less than an hour a day. You know, if you think how long people who watch soap operas spend watching them each year um, or watching Love Island and TV shows like that. Video games are just another form of entertainment and another form of escape. So while that 300 hours sounds like a lot, when you extrapolate it out, it isn't really that much. But yes, it is an average, and there are some people who play for a couple of thousand a years, uh, a couple of thousand hours a year, and um, and I'm glad that we're keeping those people company. I, 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 will, I will use this as an argument because I have been known to spend quite a few hours updating a football finance spreadsheet, and uh, I have somebody at home that, that doesn't necessarily always approve. He says, how can anybody be excited about Harrogate's accounts coming out at six o'clock on a Thursday morning? And I'm genuinely there sort of tapping away. But, but I, I always say it's a form of entertainment. It's a hobby. Um, and hopefully that uh, hopefully the Do Baroness, uh, along, along with uh, my very good friend Prosecco, will uh, will see me will see sense. <laughs> do you not have the same excuse that I do though? Which is when I'm if if I am playing a computer game, whether it be the one that that I work on, or whether it be another computer game, I can turn around and say, "Hey, but it's work." <laughs> yes, but then I get accused of working for too too many hours. Okay, fine. So um, so my my partner is is aware that I work too many hours. I think I was lucky on that score. It, it was one of those, you know, one of those early conversations that we had um, right. actually around football rather than around my gaming, which is, you know, I may well love you, but I've been in love with Watford since I'm seven. So um, <laughs> I am going to go to every game home and away. Um, and, uh, you know, if if a family wedding happens to be on an away game, I'm going to be at the away game, not at the family wedding. Um, so I, I set that stall out very, very, very early on in the relationship. Unfortunately, I don't get to every away game anymore, um, or this season, certainly, um, partly because of strikes and it being really difficult to get places, um, but uh, but also because of some, um, some family stuff, which I'm very open about on Twitter. My mum's not very well, so... Oh, um, sorry to hear so, go and see her every weekend and sometimes I can't do both. But um but I certainly still try to get to to every game. Um and I do spend a lot of time playing the game that I work on with with my great team and and other games as well because it's important to know what else is going on in the market. Um so but I set that stall up early so that it was understood. With with all the the knowledge and the experience that you have have generated through through football manager have you ever been tempted to buy a football club and run it to see whether you could apply your knowledge and experience to a, a different scenario you know, a a real world scenario or are you perfectly happy uh, and and don't want the don't want the the the, the very surreal world that, that would be football club ownership. Um, yes, I have thought about it quite a lot. Um, I don't have the money to do it, um, but I do know some people who do have the money to do it, um, and we've we've spoken about it often. Um, I speak to a lot of clubs 
um, mm. about things regularly. So, you know, there are, there are questions that I get asked and um, because I haven't worked directly in football, I've worked on the peripheries of football. I do see things a little bit differently to a lot of people in the space. I think there are lots of things that football could be doing that they're not. Um, and would one day like to put those things into practice rather than talking to people about them and seeing some of it being put into practice and some of it not. So, um, so yeah, it's something, it's something that I'd like to do. If someone, if someone has a couple of hundred million to burn, um, come talk to me. I'd be more than happy. You're, you're burning for them. Giant, I would be more than happy to throw it onto a giant fire for you and experiment um, at a club with doing things a bit differently and seeing what would happen. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, you know, it's, it, it's something that I would like to be more involved in, but would need to find a way to be able to do, to be able to do both. Um, I do think that football, um, I'm going to go really out on a limb here. Um, I think football's a bit broken still. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there are some people doing some incredible things in in football. Um, But you could still, there's some, a lot of people in football are scared of change um, and are scared of trying to do things differently and are scared of experimenting. And and I fully understand why the stakes are so, so, so high in, in football that you kind of have to get it right every time. Um, but I think football could learn a lot from, um, from other sports and not just team sports, but individual sports as well. Um, on, uh, on player improvement in particular. Um, I think football is, uh, yeah, look, you look at clubs finances, right? Constantly. You can see that there are things in football that are, that are broken. Um, and when I say that people don't experiment, um, people do experiment all the time, but they're doing the same experiments every time. And when those experiments haven't worked over and over again, I go back to the, uh, the, the question of what's the definition of madness. Mm. Um, and we see a lot of madness in football, a lot. Absolutely. But then you get people like, you know, and, and people don't like them, right? Pe- people don't like the groups that are coming into football, but some of those groups are incredibly innovative with the mm. things that, that, that they're doing. Um, and yes, they're coming in with lots of money, but they are actually doing things well in in the background. Um, whereas the whereas people who've been in football for a long time, people people who've been uh, who've grown up in the game, tend to have one way of doing things and don't necessarily look outside the box as much. And that's no that's not a criticism. And um, they're doing they're doing what they know and they they're doing what they believe is right. But I've worked in an industry for the last thirty years where change happens on a monthly basis. Yep. Um, technology changes on a monthly basis, and you basically have to adapt or or you die. Um, when you're working in an industry like that, and um, yes. and football needs to start thinking outside of the box if um, if they're not going to 
if, if they want to get away from the scrabbling around, um, scrabbling around for money and just trying to survive, they've got to start thinking outside the box, in my opinion. Miles, I've, I've conscious that I've used up an awful lot of your time, and it's been absolutely fascinating. Um, Football Manager twenty three. When's it? When's it due out? Comes out on November the eighth. Um, right. So not not long uh, to go, and uh, it's really good fun. So we will, as always, provide a free demo for the game, so you can try it before you buy it. Um, we are very. And I've spoken a lot about value for money on this podcast. I don't want anyone spending their hard-earned money um, without uh, having an idea of, of what they're getting. So that's why we provide a, a free half-season demo, which is around 10 hours of play wow. for most people, um, between five and 10 hours of play uh, for most people who play it. So, um, so yeah, I hope people enjoy it. Great. Do, do you, Just out of interest, do, do you think there's a, a gap in the market for football finance manager? Um, I don't think as a game on its own that would work. I think that there are, and there's probably room for some of the games on the market to add those things in as, as roles. But we, we have to be very careful when it comes to, to the, the game because we don't want people to need to have an economics degree or an accountancy mm. degree to be able to play it. So there are certain things like amortization, which is a, a, a word that obviously is mentioned a lot on the podcast. <laughs> um, having amortization in the game, in the financial models, there might be some that's going on in the background, but in the foreground, you don't hear that much about it. Absolutely. Um, because because uh, people would just start crying, right? <laughs> as they're playing, as, as anyone who has to deal with amortization in real life probably does on a regular basis. Um. We also don't have inflation in the game um, yep. because that would cause too much havoc um, and no one would believe it. I know, you know, who, who believes the inflation rate that we have in the UK at the moment? Yeah, exactly. It, it's just, you know, it's so, so, so scary. So have, having that happening inside a game doesn't happen. So so we, we have a lighter financial model in the game. Miles, thank you so much this has been uh fascinating illuminating um and as a fan of the game uh i'm uh i'm i'm not teaching on the 9th or the 10th of november <laughs> so, deliberately so uh, i i i if if if, any, if anybody out there from the media uh, was thinking of contacting me those days uh, i'll probably won't be answering my phone excellent that's that's what i like uh, the uh, the use of holidays does go up um, in, in the week that um, that the game comes out, and of course, people people are officially Christmas shopping. Um, exactly, but they can do that online now whilst they're playing the game. So, so it's all good. But uh, thank you so much for having me on um, today as well, Kieran. As, as you know, I really enjoy um, the podcast myself. So it's it's an honour and a privilege to uh, to be on here. Hi, Kieran. What? take away from i mean the amount of detail the amount of thoroughness they put into that game but also they, the, the amount of detail they put into situating it in the real world and virtually coming up with every potential thing that could happen in politics and in society and including that just in case it does i mean it's an immense job they're doing isn't it it's 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 an amazing piece of work and the fact that so many people in football are using it as, as part of their armory. 
these mm. days um it is great and uh I, I i was i was delighted that that miles said yes yes they had been cited in real divorce cases or um <laughs> such, such is the addictive nature of the game <laughs> when, when i'm playing at times uh I'll, I'll be there tapping away and and the baroness will just look after look, looks at me and she says why can't you be watching porn like other blokes instead of playing that <laughs> muddy game? Um, uh, so, so yeah, that's how immersive it is. It, it's it's a work of it, it's a work of art, uh, and I love it to bits. Uh, who do you who do you play as? Well, Brighton, of course. Oh, okay, all right. All right, don't, don't get don't you me. I'll, I'll, I'll be citing that game in a divorce case. <laughs> that's your attitude. Uh, thanks to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page, including Tony Moles, Matt Slocum, Darren Leithley, Steve Miles, Joseph Duda, James Johnson, Andrew Dearden, Gary Palmer, Thomas Vale, Anthony Lockton, and Sustainer Babble. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, that's very kind of you, then please go to patreon.com slash price of football. Don't forget our next live show will take place at Plymouth Argyle's Home Park on Tuesday the 13th of December. Some tickets are still available from Plymouth Argyle's website. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you very much, uh, Patreons. Uh, it's a fantastic support. We we, we we do appreciate it. Um, and and there's there's another way in which you can sow your uh, your appreciation and your, uh, your 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 positive vibes towards the show. Um, and and that's to go on to your uh, app, which you use to listen to the show. And uh, if you can give us give us a review, uh, if you think we're worth five stars, give us five stars. It it helps us in the charts. It helps us with algorithms. Uh, and, and I tried explaining that to, to Miles. Uh, uh, before we recorded the show. And, and you know when you can sense that people are just being very patient with you. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think you know a lot more about this than I do. Um, but it's, it's the stars that count as far as the review is concerned. You can write whatever you want. So you could, you could even say you'd rather have the show presented by Alan Hansen and Charles Manson. And... <laughs> And we wouldn't care. It makes no difference to us. <laughs> Is this your new theme now? That's right. Ex-players ex and serial killers. Yes. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. Bye, son, for football.